thank you all for adapting and being here online with us. Of course, I'd rather be in person, but I think we're going to make this work out pretty well. Um, the first talk for our insect management section is going to be about spider mites in corn and soybeans. Um, of course, we tend to see kind of patchy outbreaks of spider mites in central Nebraska just about every year. Um, can be a lot worse when we have uh, droughty years. So, let's see, there we go. Um, our session goals for today are gonna be first to identify the different spider mites that are found in Nebraska corn and soybeans, um, to be able to recognize the conditions that favor these outbreaks, and then understand some of our management options that we have um, for spider mites. So first of all, um, these are actually not strictly insects. These are arachnids. They're more closely related to ticks and spiders than they are to insects. Um, spider mites feed with uh, their mouth parts where they pierce the plant cells and then they suck out the plant juices. That's what results in that sort of yellow to white stippling appearance um, is where they actually have um, pierced into the cell of the plant and sucked out the juices there. Um, we do know that their infestations can be really related to drought stress and to pesticide use. So these are two things really to be aware of um, as far as fields that might have higher risk for spider mite outbreaks. And I'll talk a little bit more about that pesticide use aspect. Um, we do have two species that are found in Nebraska. Uh, we have the Banks grass mite. That's the one that's actually being shown um, in the photo here. You can see eggs. You can see some of the young um, spider mites and then some of the larger adult spider mites here. Um, we also have the two spotted spider mite. That one is found in both corn and soybeans. Um, so I'm gonna take the next couple slides and just describe in a little more detail what some of the differences are between the bank, Banks grass mite and the two spotted spider mite. Um, and really why is it important to know which one you have in your field um, so that you can kind of better understand how to manage that um, mite and what sort of the risks are for developing infestations from those species. So the first thing, of course, is how do you tell them apart? Um, this can be difficult. You probably need a hand lens. Um, you can always send samples to me or to your local extension office. This is something we can definitely help with is, is that identification. Um, but for the Banks grass mite, we do tend to see that this darker coloration extends all the way back on the body, whereas the two-spotted spider mite, as the name suggests, the darker coloration is more restricted into just two spots kind of in the middle of the body. Um, so an important thing to know is that there is this reddish brown mite that you may have seen before. Um, I do think it is increasing a little bit in maybe the last five to six years in Nebraska. It's called the carmine mite. Um, it is distinct in that it has this dark reddish brown color. Um, and this is considered actually a subspecies of the two spotted spider mite. So if you have this in your fields, um, treat this like you would two spotted spider mite and make sure any products are labeled for two spotted spider mite. Um, as far as some of the other characteristics, we do see that um, the two-spotted two spider mite tends to produce a bit more of the silk webbing compared to Banks grass mite. Um, the host range is quite different. Banks grass mite is pretty exclusive on grasses, um, such as corn and sorghum, 
And then the two-spotted spider mite really has a much broader host range. So it can be on corn and sorghum as well, but also soybeans, dry beans, fruit trees, vegetables, ornamentals, hop, hemps, uh, hops, hemp. Um, you can even find it in greenhouses, on house plants in your house. It really can be on a lot of different types of plants. And then the timing can be a bit different for these two different um, spider mites. The Banks grass tends to appear a bit earlier in the season, and then the two spotted uh, may appear more mid to late. So from this slide, I just wanted to highlight again the important point of the differences in the host range, whereas Banks grass is really um, going to be on corn and sorghum, whereas your two spotted can be on a wider range, um, corn, sorghum, soy, hops, and hemp, for example. Um, some more characteristics comparing these two species. Banks grass tends to start mostly on the lower leaves and then move upward as the infestation grows. Two-spotted can be a little bit more variable over the entire plant. Um, the overwintering location is different. So this is important because these spider mites are not overwintering in corn and in soybeans. They're probably moving in from other areas. Um, so the banks grass tends to overwinter in the crowns of winter wheat and native grasses. Whereas two-spotted is primarily in alfalfa and other broadleaf plants along those crop field borders. Um, and then another important point is the difference in their susceptibility to insecticides. So Banks grass mite tends to be um, fairly susceptible to most commonly used miticides, whereas two-spotted spider mite has developed some resistance. So it's really important to um, also look at the product labels if you have two spotted in particular, make sure that that is on that product label. Um, and I wanted to highlight the important point here again from this slide of looking for overwintering locations. If you have winter wheat surrounding your fields, that could put you at more risk for banks grass mite versus if you have alfalfa surrounding your fields, that could put you at more risk for two spotted spider mite. So some corn specific considerations. Um, which mite species is present? This is really one of the big ones, right? We said both um, Banks grass mite and two-spotted spider mite can be found in corn. Um, is this a sandy pivot? Maybe that leads to um, droughtier conditions um, where that uh, crop is drought stressed, which can lead to those infestations um, really jumping up of spider mites. Does this pivot have a history of spraying for Western bean cutworm or Western corn rootworm insecticides? which may flare the mites. Um, what you're looking for, the first evidence is gonna be that yellow whitish spotting, which is also called stippling. So that's this discoloration that you're seeing along the leaf. Um, you might notice that first on the top of the leaves, um, but then you really need to flip those leaves over and check for the presence of mites. You can see a little bit of silk webbing here. And if you had a hand lens, you would be able to see some small mites along this leaf as well. Um, so there are some things like drought and disease that can cause this similar discoloration and stippling. So you really do need to confirm that there are actually you know, living mites present um, before you would try to do anything like actually treat for them. So what is the economic threshold in corn is a really important question. Um, we say that if there's visible damage in the lower third of the plant with mite colonies present in the middle third. So for me, I like to visually 
think about that a little bit more looking at this example corn plant that's been broken down into the upper, the middle, and the lower third. That lower third of the plant is going to have yellow, that yellow-white stippling, that discoloration. And then the mite colonies are present in the middle third. And I've heard folks describe this as the mites are kind of pushing towards the ear leaf. So if you are seeing mite colonies, you know, at the level of getting to that ear leaf, you are reaching an economic threshold in corn. Um, however, if you have reached kind of the late R4, the hard dough, um, there's not going to be an economic benefit from treatment at that point. So there is a point in the season where you've sort of reached um, a, a lack of return on your investment in an insecticide treatment at that late in the season. Now, when we're thinking specifically about soybean considerations, um, two-spotted spider mite is the only species present in soybean. The Banks grass mite um, does not, um, is not found in soybean since it's a broadleaf plant. So you don't have to worry so much about identification there. Um, the two-spotted spider mite does overwinter outside of the field, as was mentioned earlier. Um, and they can be first to colonize the field on its borders, uh, maybe particularly south-facing edges, water-stressed areas. Um, check those early on for damage symptoms and for mites. Um, it does uh, do a similar type of damage like to corn where you first see these whitish yellow spots or stippling on the lower leaves and then it tends to move up higher into the canopy. So what is then that economic threshold in soybeans? I had to read this like five times to understand it. So I'm just going to give you sort of the, the visual breakdown on this soybean plant. This, this worked better for me. So we break our soybean plant down again into thirds, the upper, middle, and lower third of the plant, of the, of the canopy, you could think about it. Um, what you wanna see to be at economic threshold is heavy stippling. Um, you could have some leaf yellowing and even some leaf loss in the lower third of the plant. That middle third is gonna have some stippling present um, and also mites are gonna be present in that middle third. And then the upper third, you're going to see scattered mite colonies there. So this is the stage where um, you would need to do a treatment to prevent economic loss from uh, two-spotted spider mites in soybean. So the type of injury that can happen in soybeans, um, it's similar to corn. Um, this damage can be confused with drought and with foliar diseases. So you want to make sure that there actually are mites present. Um, on the corn plant before making any uh, treatment decisions. Um, and soybean particularly, you can choose some spot treatments if there's localized infestations. We wanna make sure you check around um, that local infestation, particularly downwind. Um, and if there are mites present downwind, you wanna make sure you treat that area as well. So even though some late season infestations can accelerate soybean senescence and increase pod shattering, um, you want to be careful about using um, spider mite treatments later in the season because some of them do have pretty long pre-harvest intervals like 21 to 28 days. So just a caution to make sure you're checking your product labels there. So um, if you do reach these economic thresholds and are considering chemical applications, I think something to keep in mind is that for spider mites, the realistic goal is that you're slowing the rate of population increase you're not gonna be able to come in and completely eliminate 
every single mite uh, from the population. But you are going to slow their um, population growth, keep them below that economic damage level. Um, for effective control, spider mites really need to come into contact with that chemical product. And since they are present on the underside of the leaves, you really need to think about um, using a higher volume application. So as a rule of thumb, you know, three gallons per acre or higher, 15 gallons per acre or higher, um, you know, for air and ground, but really check the label because some of the products recommend even higher. You know, I saw, I think, 25 gallons per acre for ground application on one of the labels I was recently looking at. Um, you know, and that's really, you have to get that product to the underside of the leaves where those mites are present to be effective. Um, applications also are generally more effective early in the morning or later in the evening um, in order to avoid that upward movement of the sprays from that hot air that's rising away from the plants. And again, that's because of the location of the mites, right? They're going to be underside of leaves. They're going to be, you know, lower down on the plant and you need the product to get to where they are. So um, this is something that you know, I'm not going to be able to go through the whole table, of course, with you guys. And so I hope you'll be able to refer to the slides later for this. Um, but there are quite a few different modes of action of miticide product options out there. Um, some of the first are some of our kind of bigger um, chemical insecticide groups. Um, 1B, the organophosphates. Um, 3A, the pyrethroids. This includes things like dimethoate, chlorpyrifos, difenthrin. There's some um, products that are a mixture of these two. They have an organophosphate and a pyrethroid together in the product. Um, I'm not gonna go into the detail on it now. Um, Samantha Daniel in our next talk is gonna um, share with you some more information about availability of chlorpyrifos products, um, but they are gonna be less available. So that's why I've put an asterisk here next to a few of our chlorpyrifos products. Um, these are generally labeled for both corn and soybean. Um, but something to think about all of these products, our organophosphates and our pyrethroids, is that they, um, it's very difficult to kill the mite eggs using these products. Um, so they are targeting the immature mites and the adult mites, but not killing the eggs. Um, however, these products do remove the natural enemies, those beneficials that are out there. So you can sometimes see infestations recurring in seven to 10 days because those eggs hatch and then there's no good guys there to eat them. Um, the next group of products are from our um, group six and 12C. Um, this would include things like Agrimec and Comite. Um, this is something to um, check your labels, make sure it's labeled for the crop that you are needing it. Um, these again target the active stages of the mite as well. So they do not kill the eggs, but they do kill the immatures and the adults. And then our final two groups are um, 10B and 23. Um, these would include products like Zeal, Oberon, and Onager. And again, um, just check to see which um, crops they're labeled in. And these are different because they are actually active against the eggs and the immatures. Um, and so they are killing the eggs, they're killing the immatures. Um, Zeal and Onager are not killing adults. Oberon has some activity against adults, but it's not as good as it is against eggs and immatures. So that's something to be aware of too, is like, what is the 
structure in your field? Do you have a lot of eggs right now? Do you have a lot of adults right now? Um, and maybe choosing your product based on what that looks like. So I mentioned the biological controls, the good guys. There are quite a few um, good natural enemies out there that help suppress spider mite populations. Um, predatory mites, they're these um, kind of light brown, kind of teardrop shaped. They look very similar to the pest mites, but they love to eat them. We have um, some lady beetle species, some thrips species, some minute pirate bugs. There's even a fungal pathogen, this fungus infects the spider mites. Um, so that's something to be aware of as well as that after a fungicide application, you may actually see spider mite outbreaks. Um, and so that's really something that we do see is this flaring of spider mites. Um, that many of these problems can be traced back to an earlier application of a broad spectrum insecticide that reduced those natural enemies in the field. So just something to be aware of is really scouting for and looking for the presence of spider mites if you're going to be doing, say, a western bean cutworm or a western corn rootworm targeting insecticide application. Um, so because many of those products that are test targeting those um, pests like western bean cutworm, corn rootworm, soybean defoliators, or soybean aphid, they can lead to the mite flare-ups. Um, by removing those beneficials and allowing the pests to thrive. So my take home points is that it's important to identify the spider mite species in corn. Um, the management options differ depending on those species. Um, pesticides differ in their activity against the different spider mite stages. Um, you know, the eggs versus the immature versus the adults. So it's important to understand that in your selection of products. And um, it's critical to think about avoiding unnecessary broad spectrum insecticide applications early in the season that can lead to those later season mite outbreaks. 